Well, it's good to be back with you again. Uh, now, I think we can all we can all pick one, can't we? We uh, there are some songs I reckon that, that that over the course of our of our Australian consciousness that just stick with us, and we listen to them in the car, and we know all the words, and we and we just know them. We just know everything. If, if I was just to just to tell you the first line, I'm pretty sure most of you could just keep singing, right? I'm not going to sing for you, but the, um, in 1982, a band called Cold Chisel released a song called When the War is Over. And some of you could just be like, yep, I'm already going, okay? The only problem with, with all these songs that we know probably better than our national anthem is that we don't quite understand what they talk about. Like, nobody's ever sat down and sort of explained what... This, what situation is Cold Chisel actually addressing when they, when they, when they share this, this song? So I got online and I, and I googled and I tried to figure out what, what's, what are they talking about? And it depends who you listen to, but nobody has really given a definitive answer. And as far as I know, the band has never actually explained what this song is about. It could be a, about a, a soldier returning from home. There, there was a an Anzac Day um, rendition of this song earlier in the year, which is really good. It could be about somebody getting out of prison and, you know, and returning home and, and just trying to maybe re- rediscover their life a bit. Um, but, but nobody seems to have any clue as to what this is about. There's a couple of words on, on the screen here. There's a couple of lyrics. You and I had our sights set on something. I hope this doesn't mean our days are numbered. I've got plans for more than a wanted man. Listen to this. All around is chaos and madness. Can't help feel nothing more than sadness. Only choice is to face it as best I can. If there was ever, if there was ever a song written about the attitude of Israel as they leave Egypt and they head to the promised land and they're stuck in the wilderness, this is it. They, they leave captivity with excitement about what God might do, and they set their eyes on him. And they got their eyes set on something. They crossed the Red Sea with a sense of excitement and a, and a sense maybe of, of optimism about what the future holds. But somewhere along the line, the chaos and the madness set in. And things don't go to plan. And within a couple of days, the complaining begins and the cycles begin, and that's just how uh, it goes. Within a month last time, we talked about how they're looking backwards rather than looking forwards. They're looking backwards for something. And life was terrible if you go back, but at least it was predictable, right? And they take their eyes off God, and in the desert, the only mood is one of sadness. And the only option for them, once they take their eyes off God, is I've just got to face it as best I can. Now, as I, as I read that, that passage more and more and more, what I think is the overriding sense for me is that the feeling must be one of discontent. They, they stepped out thinking God would, would sort this out for us, but God doesn't seem to be working the way that they thought he would. This whole freedom thing isn't what we thought it would be. God, God's taken too long. The journey's taken too long. It's just not what we planned and it's much harder to rely on God than it is to rely on us isn't it it's much easier to to want everything in our timetable rather than waiting on God for his timetable 
Let's, let's just be honest. It, it is far easier, even as a Christian, to complain and be frustrated with what our life is and how things are working out in the middle of it than see what God's trying to do in the middle of it and to see what God is trying to do in us along the way. Now, the reason I love this passage so much is because this is the moment where God doesn't leave people stuck there. God does not leave them stuck in discontent. He actually offers them a couple of really radical ideas and practices to reconnect them with him. This is, this is good. And just for the sake of time, I'll, I'll just summarise some of God's invitations for, for, for them. Verse 4 said, The Lord said to Moses, Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out, pick up as much as they want for that day. For that day. Verse 12, I have heard the Israelites' complaints. Tell them, in the evening you will have meat to eat, in the morning you will have bread, then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Now, if you cast your mind back two weeks, what did the people want when they went back? They wanted meat and they wanted bread. God provides. Verse 22, on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much as usual. All the leaders of the community came and asked Moses, what are you doing? What are you doing? He told them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of rest, a Sabbath day set apart for the Lord. So bake and boil as much as you want today and set aside what is left for tomorrow. And 26 says, you may gather the food for six days, but the seventh day is the Sabbath. There will be no food on the ground that day. So what does God provide for them? on this journey to help them find contentment and help them find him along that way. The first lesson we learn is that contentment begins with rest. It's not a must, but it does in in God's economy. Now remember, (laughs) this is a good story. The people of Israel have come from 400 years of slavery and one thing they have not had is a day off. Can you imagine that? Four hundred years without a public holiday. Four hundred years without a a footy grand final or a, oh man, you're kidding, aren't you? Like not, not even a weekend. Their whole identity and their whole value as people is, is, is messed up in this whole, I've got to turn up to work today and I've got to prove myself and I've got to provide and, and get results and then tomorrow I've got to do it all again. And tomorrow I've got to do it all again. And I never get a day off. I think we could draw a lot of parallels between probably our world and, and theirs. Um, and I, you know what? I, can, I, can I just say that given my background in the, in the police force, I, I saw a lot of people, uh, I was one of them for, even for a period there, where stopping is not natural. Stopping does not make sense. We're not good when, when, when things stop and the phone stops and we can't do anything. The, the police is a results-driven business. You prove yourself day in and day out, and if you don't prove yourself, you, you ain't so good. That's essentially what the, what the mindset is. And when you go on holidays, part of you dies because you're not producing, right? That, that, that is the world that, I'm, that I am used to. Uh, and plenty of other people I know over the years have really struggled with that. 
And I think on, on some level, the radical invitation that God extends to his people is, listen here, you are my people. You are my people. I am the God who brought you from Egypt to here. I am the God who brought you from Egypt to where you're going. And more than any other skill or any other ability that you think you might need along that journey, you need to walk in step with me. This is a radical departure from everything they've known over 400 years. So one day a week, you stop work, I'll stop providing the food, I'll stop working, and we can just be together. Can you see what a, see what a crazy idea this is? This is, this is remarkable. It's the, and notice what, notice what God is not... Notice what God is not doing. He's not saying... If you run at a different pace than the rest of the world, and if you do this, I'm going to make the challenges you face easier. He's not saying, if, if you just do this, I will make the path out of the wilderness a bit easier and everything else. What he offers them, the gift he offers them, is himself. The gift he offers them in the wilderness when they want every other material and natural and, and other life thing that they want, God offers them him. That's the reward. And that's a radical idea. Now, obviously, there's a lot we can say here about that, that same invitation for us. In a, in a world of chaos and madness, Jesus came to reconcile people to God, to to fill us with his spirit, to, to teach us to follow and walk in step with him. And it's going to be a rhythm that does not make sense to the people around us. It's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to be hard for us. Now, Nathan's got a sermon written about uh, the Sabbath, or at least plans. So I'm not going to talk about the Sabbath too much and what that might look like for us. I'm going to give all the hard questions to you, and congratulations. But let, let me just say this, that... The people of Israel have to prepare food on, let's just call it the Saturday. They've got to prepare food on one day to make time on the next. They've actually got to, they've actually got to work a bit harder, in a sense, during the week to create space on the Sabbath for when God says they've got to stop. And I think there's a, there's a little lesson in that for us. We can't expect, as God's people, that if God actually invites us to stop... It's not going to cost us. It will actually cost us time. It, it will cost us um, because, because the world as we know it won't stop for us. That they can't just stop without planning it. They can't just stop without the inevitable demands of life, the due dates, the notifications, the news emails, the, the, you know, the missed calls, the work messages, whatever you've got on your radar. They can't just turn up and do it because the inevitable stuff in life will mess it up. That's just what's going to happen. So if we want to have a Sabbath, if we want to rest, we're going to have to make time for it and safeguard it and keep it that way. It's going to require us to fight for it. But here's the thing. Put yourself back in their, in their shoes. If the people of Israel do it, 
if they do it and they learn to stop and they learn to turn their attention on God and can contemplate who he is, then all of a sudden, maybe, just maybe, they can find the contentment that they want. Second uh, point. Now, I'm pretty sure I could make an argument here for contentment requires food. I'm not, I'm not, not going to do that because that would be very uh, irresponsible. But um, v- verse 31 says, The Israelites called the food manna. It was like white coriander seed and it tasted like honey wafers. I- I'm not sure what this stuff is, is, is about. But God wants to move the people from a place of frustration and grumbling and complaining, I think, to gratitude. So I think the point I want to make here is, is, is that discovering contentment requires us to actually learn gratitude. Notice the reference to honey. You know, like God, God, has all, God has already provided for the food, sorry, the bread and the, and the meat. The, 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 the people complained and they asked for God and God's delivered. God has actually answered their complaining and said, here, here you go. But it's probably like, but notice the reference to honey. Honey is probably something that, something that they have not had for a long time. They haven't probably had a lot of honey in slavery. They probably haven't had a lot of slave, a lot of honey on this journey into the wilderness. Honey is probably one of those things they haven't had a lot of. So notice that God is not just providing for them the food that they need to survive. He's actually instilling in them a taste and a hunger for the promised land. He's giving them something more to keep them, in a sense, I think, going. Now, I'm sure that there's, a, there's a, probably a conversation there, there to be had around the whole question of everything that they're about to experience is temporary. The wilderness is not the place they are built to stay. It's the place that they will be for a short period before they head on to the promised land. And there's probably a conversation there for us to have about we've got to understand that everything in our life is temporary and this world is not the one we were built to stay in. So we've got to actually see the world in, in, that, in that way. But I think if you, if you actually combine this with the idea of Sabbath rest, I, I think what God is saying on some level is he, he's inviting them to stop and be grateful for what you have and leave the stuff that you don't have and that you haven't got yet at my feet. Just let it go. Celebrate the stuff you've got. Like, you know, gratitude does not come naturally, does it? We've actually, we've actually, actually just got to learn it on some level. It's actually, it's actually got, to be, got, got to become part of us and it will take time to develop this. Uh, if, if I can go back and use a very poor analogy. Uh, two, two weeks ago, I told you a story about, this, some, about, about a bush turkey in my backyard. And I, can I just clarify, I did not injure the bush turkey. I did not hurt the bush turkey in any way, shape or form, right? It's just as long as you know that, that's okay. But while I was battling the bush turkey, my kids thought it was hilarious. My kids thought it was the funniest thing they'd ever seen. And so what they did, being, being, being Star Wars obsessed, my children turned the turkey wars into a, seri- a series of movies. So... Uh, my, my kids have come up with um, something like this. And they, they've, got, they've got the phantom turkey, the return of the turkey, the, the turkey strikes back, the turkey awakens, all this sort of stuff. And, they, and 
my kids being a little bit wacky, they, they've turned the whole, you know, the whole drive, to, drive to school on a, on a weekday. There's a big pile of mulch in the kids' schoolyard and there's all these conspiracy theories in our car about maybe this is the turkey's base of operations, right? There's the, anyway, at the risk of a very, very poor analogy, can I just tell you that, that my kids are teaching me in that moment that there are opportunities to enjoy and be grateful for every single thing I've got rather than just be stuck in that flippin' bush turkey, right? Everything we have and every opportunity and every moment of our life we are holding or being with somebody or we're, or we're doing something that has a little taste of the promised land in it. And we've actually got to, I think it's a skill we've actually got to develop. We've actually got to develop the opportunity to stop and enjoy and be grateful for the many things we've got. The third point is discovering contentment requires learning it. This is bad news because I, I want to be able to, you know, if you want contentment in your life, I want to be able to be able to say a prayer and get it and God's going to make my life better, right? But that's not what happens here. Each of the things that, that God is introducing them to, the, the collecting food twice a day, the, the not, on, not on Sundays, the, the stopping, the being thankful, the, the leaving the worries at my feet, plan a day of rest, walk in step with me, all of these things they can't just do on day one. They've actually just got to learn what it is to, to, to be grateful. They've got to learn to be content. You can't just say a prayer and it works for you. It requires that people actually have to learn to live a different way than what they're used to. And I think this is why Paul says this in Philippians 4. I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's a full stomach or empty or plenty or with little, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. He's learned it. Now, I think that the question may well come here, is there a way, let's, let's be honest about it, is there a way in our world to find contentment outside of God? Maybe that argument can be made. I mean, the cold chisel said the only choice is to face it the best I can, to, to make best of the situation and just hope it resolves itself. In fact, there were some Stoic philosophers in Paul's time who had a saying, I have learnt to find the resources in myself to deal with whatever the situation. Isn't that the attitude of our world today? I, I, I can do all things through myself. So what Paul is saying is something radically different. He is saying, I have learnt to be content in deep and loving relationship and connection to Jesus regardless of my circumstances. This is something completely different that our world just does not get. It just doesn't get it. Paul is not just talking here, I think, about a concept that maybe it might work. He's talking about 
a lived reality. He's talking about something that regardless of which prison cell I'm in, regardless of whether I'm having a good day or a bad day, regardless of, of whether my, you know, my, my world is falling apart or my world's all going well, contentment is possible and it only works in relationship with Jesus. You know, the, the more I think about this and the more, I, the more I stew over, how is it that you learn to be content? How is it that you learn to be content? If I was really honest with you, and I will be because I don't know any other way. If I was really honest, as I've wrestled over the last week with this question of, Steve, why is it that you don't see a lot of contentment in your life some days? You know what the answer was? It's because you don't abide the way you should. That's really hard to hear. That's really hard to hear. And the more I think about it, this idea about learning to be content and abiding with Jesus, I think are the same thing. They're interchangeable. They come together. They work together. Abiding is this deep relational term where I relinquish control of the stuff that I can't control and the what-ifs and the maybes and the things I can't fix. Because I think at its core, finding contentment is an attitude of surrender. That's, that's what it is. It's ultimately an attitude of surrender, and I think that's the place where you find contentment. If you want to find contentment, it requires that you let it go. I'm convinced that more and more in, in, in this season of our world where, where we are today, with all the things that are going on and, and all the things that are, you know, that are just changing, um, we need to learn to abide with Jesus. Above every other skill that we think we might need, we've got to learn to abide with Jesus day in and day out because that's the place where you make sense of your world. The big problem is we don't stop long enough to listen. We don't stop long enough to even be aware of him walking next to us. We we, we don't stop for even a few minutes to carve out that time in our day to to stop and rest and be grateful and let him have his way. So there's my challenge. Each day this week, Psalm 46 is is a cracker. Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. That one. Make five minutes this day, each, this week, each day, each day. Don't sit in the artificial world inside, get, out, get outside, okay? Get outside. Five minutes with your Bible, your phone won't work. Don't take it with you, it won't work. Take this, find, find Psalm 46, five minutes with God and I will guarantee it will change your life. But how hard is it to do? The answer is it's really hard. <laughs> That's the answer. It's really hard. But if there's any skill we've got to learn to be as God's people, it's just that learning to abide. Let's pray. God, I just, um, God, as I wrote this sermon, I, 
the reality is that, that I just see a lot, of the, a lot of disillusionment. I just, God, I, God, I just sense, sense that there are people here today um, and maybe even listening to this on the internet who are, who, are, who are living in a place of discontent and disillusionment. And I thank you, God, that the answer is Jesus. The answer is to abide with him. But God, how, how, how difficult it is to stop. How difficult it is to get out of that cycle of complaining. How, how difficult it is not to be frustrated. How hard it is to not be grateful. God, I pray for those people today. The people who, are, the people who, who have those seasons of discontent. The seasons of things just not making sense. And if I can say anything to you this morning, the, the leave the frustration and the discontent at Jesus' feet. Surrender the things that you can't control and the things that you have no say over and the things that you can't even influence and leave them at his feet. Church, I think that Jesus is here today. I know that he's here today. And for those people who are, who are stuck in disillusionment and discontent, he wants you to run to him. So God, as, uh, as your church today, we, we stop and we run to you. We run to you. Amen. 